0: I'm Alexandra Joe, Culture and Content Manager at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, we're joined by Maggie McMillan, Vice President of the Wifels Group of Companies and All Caring, to talk about running a multi-generational funeral home business and being an entrepreneur. We talk about the value of listening to colleagues and employees who have fresh perspectives on the death profession, the importance of cultivating a forward-thinking and supportive company culture for your employees, and how to balance honoring traditions and being adaptable to new rituals around death in order to serve a new generation of death planners. You're jumping into a conversation with myself, Justin Crow, founder and CEO at Parting Stone, and Maggie McMillan. Can you talk about what it was like growing up in a family within the funeral profession and then to carry that on as your job? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So growing up in the funeral business, you know, because my mom also grew up in it, she was acutely aware of not exposing us to too much trauma too early. So I don't actually have a lot of memories of being in the funeral home as like a young child. I remember, you know, coming in to help my dad because he was cremating on the weekend or, you know, being in the embalming room. But I definitely wasn't one of those kids who was like watching autopsies happen. And then kind of always being acutely aware of, I don't know the right way to say this, but like the sensitivity of death. Part of that. So when I was two, my the, the my mom who birthed me passed away. So we were like exposed very early before we entered this, or before I would have been exposed to this business. Um, And then my mom who raised me, she was the one, it's kind of, it was her, or is her family's business. Um, So coming into it without memories, I'm sure I had sort of a different perspective of it. Like, I don't remember a time in my life where death wasn't present, but there was always that flip side of the coin, which was, If you're feeling this tremendous loss, it means that you had this tremendous love. Um, And like that should be on a, you know, live, laugh, love sign
0: somewhere. (laughs) It's sort of cheesy, but it
1: really is the way that I feel about this business and about people going through death and loss. Um, And then coming into the business was, I think I was like 15 or 16. I actually went to a Canaan convention with my dad and i was sort of like oh this is interesting and then i went to college and i was all ready to go to law school and i talked to a bunch of attorneys who just hated their lives and they were like do not become an attorney <laughs> um so i just i kind of i talked to both my parents and i was like here are the things i like you know i can't really focus on one thing for too long i like to be stimulated in a lot of different ways and they were like well it sounds like you want to be a business owner why don't you try working for us for a while and then if it doesn't work you can go find something else and it's kind of how I got into it, and I figure once I don't love it anymore, I'll find something else. But it hasn't
0: happened yet. <laughs> cool.
2: And how has the business? How's the business evolved, like over those generations, and and what's its current iteration?
1: So I don't know how much history you want, but I'll go through it all, and you can cut out what doesn't <laughs> apply. Um, but the business. <laughs> so what would my great, great, great grandfather? Um, came over from Germany, moved to Michigan. His wife had some sort of breathing issues. So they came to the desert in Southern California. He was actually a furniture maker, which is very typical. And then I think the funeral home just couldn't pay their bills, so they were like, here you go. Um, and then the next generation, so that's sort of through the Great Depression. Um, I think they had multiple, uh, multiple jobs that they served in the community sort of like the switchboard phone operator, the funeral director, the ambulance service, um, and then kind of the next generation, You know, it's just the funeral home and the ambulance service. That's where the expansion sort of started. So they went from one location to th- four locations. Um, and then the next generation, which would be my parents, sort of expanded a little bit more. That's where we got the early days into the internet, uh, sort of meeting families online for cremations. Um, pretty early on and I can't really take credit for this because it was obviously my parents they sort of realized that that cremation was a big thing we've heard this story <laughs> they put in crematories in pretty logistically helpful areas so you know Palm Springs where we are um, Joshua tree, Los Angeles so by the time I came into it, we were set up fairly well to expand out into Southern California um, And I think what we focused on is, you know, expansion happens so quickly. There's a lot of stabilizing that has to happen. So coming back in and looking at employer retention, looking at, you know, um, I, I don't really know what the words, but like, okay, we have these locations, we can do these services in these areas. How do we now make sure that the people who are coming to work for us are able to, pay their bills so they can focus on what they're doing. Like, that's been a lot of the shift in the last probably five years for what we've been doing. We sort of looked at all this growth and went, great, now let's sort of come back to the base and stabilize.
2: And so you just as like us, just as a kind of summary here. So your great, great, great grandfather started uh, the furniture maker, started the business. It expanded into what you have now. And I'm going to kind of break this down based on my understanding, which is. Um, what's sometimes referred to as a third-party crematory that uh, you work with many other funeral homes to do their cremations. Um, You also have um, a number of physical locations, right? Yes. And um, yeah, how many?
1: So we have four locations that have crematories on site with multiple crematories, with multiple retorts there. We've got eight what we would call sort of traditional funeral homes so brick and mortars families are coming in and then we have an online cremation company that we generally do most of our interfacing with families over the computer and on the phone and then we have you know all the infrastructure to support that so prep rooms transportation teams all the stuff that you need to kind of keep the trains running on time
2: cool and and how many families are you serving annually right now So
1: direct families that we're serving, where we're meeting with the family directly, we're probably at about 3,500.
0: So 3,500 families that you serve in person. So that's not including the online. So online and and technology sounds like a pretty important part of this business. And um, it's so different than thinking about a funeral business that started... With a furniture maker, which I'm assuming, meant coffin maker, right? Is that how the death care part of it like got in, you know, in, involved? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I yes, made a lot of furniture, including the caskets and the coffins. Okay, okay. So, I mean, obviously, the experience of being part of a multi-generational funeral home and having that industry experience in your own family's background is different than someone entering for the first time. Can you talk about how you think those experiences might be a little different to offer someone who is a first time or a new funeral director, like maybe like a different perspective on the experience. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So I, my favorite people are people who don't come from the industry because usually there's something that they're seeing that we all missed, and it's sort of like, oh, well, that's pretty obvious. I just didn't recognize it because I was in the forest, but thanks for, or in the trees, but thanks for pointing out the forest. Um, <laughs> so I think anyone who's entering this profession without. Um, you know, without sort of generational experience, I wouldn't let that deter you at all because you probably have some of the best ideas in the room. Um, it's sort of, so in California, we're a, we have two separate licenses for funeral directing. There's a funeral director's license and an bomber's license. And you actually don't have to have a license to do a lot of the stuff that makes you essentially the same as a funeral director, but we can't call you that because you're not licensed. And what I'll often tell are our, our, the people who I work with is like, the license doesn't tell me anything, right? Like the license tells me you can finish something. The license tells me that, you know, you passed a test, but like where I really know is by working with you. And it's, it's the same way with like a multi-generational family funeral home versus an, a new startup. Like sometimes actually that new startup might be the best option for families because they're hungry, right? Like they're looking to meet people where they are. They're more willing to listen. They're more willing to take, feedback and criticism and sort of take it and run with it, sometimes I think that um, ingratiated funeral homes actually can be a little stagnant. And that's one thing that's been really exciting in our particular business is because we have this sort of diverse model of serving families, I can kind of shift back and forth between, you know, our traditional funeral homes, our online cremation company, our sort of green, eco-focused funeral home. And I'm sure for some people, it seems like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but actually what it means that I can take that experience and go to the other side and go, hey, look, the way that they're serving families over here, we can take these three things and we can actually put it online. Um, And so for me, that's the most exciting part. So I don't really remember what your question was, but I think it was, what would I say to someone entering this business without (laughs) that sort of long family history? And I would say do it um, because we need your input.
0: Yeah, I think that's helpful, and I think it's important for people that are really established in the profession to be open to new experiences and ideas. I mean, do you have advice for mining your employees for ideas and information? Do you find that employees bring those ideas straight to you and are, like, loud about it, or is it, is it difficult to find that input? So <clears throat>
1: I think I'm, I find myself constantly reminding people to push back at me and to sort of if I have an idea that doesn't sound like it's going to work, I need you to tell me because we could spend a lot of time and a lot of resources on an idea that I haven't thought through all the way. I think initially when people start working with our company specifically, their instinct is not to push back and their instinct is sort of, okay, let's figure this out. Let's you know, kind of figure out the culture here. Let's figure out how these people work. And, and I think that's totally normal and reasonable, right? Like you don't want to make waves in your first month, but I really try and make it a point to go, look, get comfortable. You know, I want you to be here for the long haul. Once you're comfortable and once you recognize that like, you know, we value your input. We think that what you bring to the table is important. Please throw it at me because, you know, if you get 10 ideas, maybe five or – I don't know. I mean, you've got to go through a lot of bad ideas to get some good ones to stick. And if we're not constantly going through those bad ideas, we're never going to get the new good ones.
2: What's What's really remarkable listening to this story is that it's not, it's not, not very many – companies last 75 years or, or or 100 years or how however long your company's been in business. And in order to be successful doing that, the people running that company have to be reinventing what they do for the modern trends. And it seems like you just come from this lineage of entrepreneurs who are like, I can make caskets. I can expand this funeral business into more markets. Oh, digital cremations? Let's do that, which is really admirable. And, and I think you, your company has done it better in the funeral space than I've seen a lot of other funeral homes do. And um, what's your generation of entrepreneurs working on? Like, what's the next 10 years look like? Uh, for 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 Matthews?
1: I don't know. Call me in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: thought you were going to reveal some big secret here.
1: <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I think we're, if you look across industries right now, we're at a time where people are having really important conversations about wages, about benefits, about living, about... Um, You know, I saw this like meme on the Internet the other day that was like, of course, millennials aren't having kids. We've lived through like four economic crises and we're not paid living wages. So it's not the only thing that I focus on. But for me, that's sort of um, like a personal crusade is let's figure out how to build our business in a smart way where we're sort of, you know, protecting our flank, building our base, building out smart and strong. But we're also able to look back and recognize that we didn't do it alone Um, and I think sometimes that can be really hard for entrepreneurs to say is you know I didn't do this alone and I think it's a really important thing for us to acknowledge and recognize and it's hard look I get it like we're putting in you know 80 hours a week of blood sweat and tears like it feels like you're doing it alone sometimes but when you look across the board you're really not. I think that's a good non-answer to your question, <laughs> but that that's probably one of the bigger things where when I'm not working in the business every single day, it's something that I'm thinking about.
2: Yeah, and I really like that answer. Uh, and so, what 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 things do you see? What common things do you see happening in the funeral industry as far as creating a a positive and nurturing work environment? For the staff who help us all build these businesses, what mistakes do you see commonly being made, and um, you know what have how have you shaped your business to not be that or or to be supportive?
1: So that's a really big question. So I'll try and piece it out a little bit, just because there are so many answers I could throw at you. Um, I think as the industry changes, and I think Alexander, I think you gave me the number. It's like now sixty percent of students in mortuary school are female. Right. We've always been an industry that's been pretty heavily um, LGBTQIA plus friendly. We've always been an industry that, um, oh, I should say there are some glaring issues here. Obviously, the episode with Joel about racism I've not yet listened to, but I think is really mm-hmm. important. And I think that's a spot where funeral directors need to listen and sort mm-hmm. of need to dig in. For me, the, the biggest spot that I've been able to change is We we didn't really have a comprehensive maternity policy in our company. And then I had a child and I was like, what is happening here? (laughs) Um, So it's sort of shitty that it, it took me going through that and being like, this is untenable, like this is impossible. How are you supposed to come to work every day and fill the cups of these families who are rightfully empty when you're, you know, Coming off of the birth of a child, and you're maybe you know maybe six weeks afterward, because um, in California we have a little bit of a maternity leave policy. So going through some of that myself has been really helpful, and we we're we have some of those things in place, things like uh, retirement benefits, obviously health benefit, things that like I think potentially could be easily overlooked if if you're not thinking about them day to day, like if you have the privilege to not think about those things.
0: It is a privilege because. Those are things that make a huge difference in the lives of employees and the general happiness and well-being and mental health because they're not having to stress about they don't have insurance. And so there's doctor's bills or, you know, I want to start a family, but I can't afford to because I can't take off. work. Like the, that's that's just huge kind of everyday stressors that if a workplace, especially an emotionally intense and involved workplace like death care can kind of help with their employees, I mean, That's really important for building a really strong company culture and and employee loyalty and, you know, having less job turnover and stuff like that. That's
1: the cynical part of it, right? Is like, if I'm being really cynical, what I would say is, hey, the amount of time that it takes to train someone to do this really difficult job and to also understand how we serve families in our area, like, what is the value of that? And I don't necessarily have a number for that, but it's sort of like, I'm sure that we could give two or three extra weeks on a maternity leave policy. I'm sure that we could, you know, make some additions to an FMLA request. Like, and again, being really cynical and that's, I would like to think I come from a better place in my heart, but if we're being super cynical and we're looking at sort of bottom line things and you know, you do have to be realistic at the end of the day, we, we, there are things that we can't provide, but what if we can, if we never talk about them, then we'll never know if we can, we can offer that or not.
0: Yeah, and I think it makes a big difference in your company culture, too, that your employees know that you're even trying and thinking about it, you know? Um, I mean, we're a tiny company, and it meant a lot when we got, like, a paid time off package here, you know, and that it was talked about, right? And that all the employees knew that like management was thinking about that and wanting to give it to us and kind of struggling to make that happen as quickly as possible. It meant a lot. And, and so, and it went a long way in, yeah, making, making employees feel seen and cared about. So.
1: And I think that right there kind of feeds back into the crux of what a funeral director is, right? Like we're listening to people where they are in the moment they're walking in the door. And like, I don't think, I think I would hope that every generation has gotten better and I I think that for my generation, that's a big piece that we have to find. Now, we're also looking at expanding. We're also looking at being aggressive in our market. Like those things, we're able to sort of stand on the shoulders of those giants. But I think adding that piece into the conversation, one, not only fits with what we do as funeral directors, but two, is also really important as we look toward, you know, sort of this tidal wave of death coming with the baby boomers. Again, being very cynical.
0: Totally.
2: And also, I mean, if if nobody ever goes back to work, there's going to be a work shortage for a long time. And honestly, it's probably going to end up positive for the people who are working because it's going to be the companies that really care and support their staff that are going to get those mm-hmm. employees. And the ones that don't are going to lose the employees. It's going to be pretty simple right. here pretty mm-hmm. soon.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Very, very true. It's like the inverse of when I graduated from high school and was in college. Like back then, you know, in like two thousand six, <laughs> seven, eight, nine, you like take a job if you if you get offered one, you know. It like, and now it's people people my age. You know, I'm in my early thirties. Are like, yeah, I'm graduating from grad school and I have like twelve interviews lined up in the next week. Like interviewing, like people are hiring me and I can choose what I I can literally choose my job. It's it's like the exact opposite. So.
2: Yeah. Right. I remember I had a hard time. I moved to Taos, Taos, New Mexico originally. This is maybe eight years ago now. And when I got there, I had a really hard time finding a job um, in that community. And so I had applied to a bunch of places. I was probably like 25 at this time. Um, applied to a bunch of places, didn't get anything. And I was going around the farmer's market and I was asking every farmer. I'm like, hey, just moved here. Really need a job. And I finally got one. who was this garlic farmer, and he was like, "Yeah, I got, I got some work for you." And I was like, "Okay, great! Like, what a relief! I gotta pay rent." Uh, and he was like, "But I don't, I don't have any money, um, but I can pay you, in, I can pay you a chicken an hour." <laughs> and so my first job in Taos, New Mexico, was working for ten live chickens an hour, and I pulled garlic <laughs> for eight hours, and I got my ten chickens. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. <laughs>
2: that was my introduction to to living in New Mexico. That was my my entrepreneurial and bartering thing. also. App <laughs> for
0: New Mexico feels about right for Taos. What did What did you do with the chickens, though? Did you sell them?
2: No, I built a coop and I ate okay. their eggs.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, brilliant. So no rent, but you got food. There you go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then I got a job oh. on the internet, and okay. I was like, one oh, down. down <laughs>
0: Plus yeah. bonus pets. Cool. <laughs> yes. Uh, Farm fresh eggs. That's cool, absolutely. too. That's funny.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was about to like, don't tell me you ate them. Don't tell the vegan you ate them over here. Like that's. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 Eating the eggs is fine, though. <laughs> no.
2: no, we didn't eat okay. the chickens. We cool. ate the eggs. Some other animals Okay. The
0: <laughs> uh, that's.
2: Took some practice.
0: That's hilarious. Um, so I maybe to wrap up this conversation, um, is there any advice you would offer other multi-generational funeral business owners um, in today's death climate?
1: You know, <clears throat> I think each situation is pretty unique. So it's hard to give like across the board sort of, here's your fortune cookie advice. I would say, if you're coming from a robust family business where you are able to kind of leverage those traditions, leverage those community relationships. Don't be afraid to take risks. I think for me, probably the biggest lesson that I learned as we expanded into different markets was, oh, where my sort of family business core is, I'm a little more conservative, but out in this other market, I can really try these things that are fun and interesting. And they the families respond well to them and our directors respond well to them. And then maybe I can take that back to my core family business. And I think had I been sort of courageous and brave enough to do that in that core family business, um, I would have seen the same results. I kind of need that leveraged arm to take those risks. But I would say um, as someone coming from a long generational family business, there can be a lot of pressure. But that doesn't mean that you have to feel that every single day. Um, So yeah if you're getting feedback from your community don't be afraid to take criticism don't be afraid to take positive feedback and sort of meld those things together
0: great and do you think that in this profession in a business that's been around for a long time and is established and has traditions and has you know a brand so to speak do you think tradition can ever be like a barrier or hold businesses back from expansion and growth evolution Or do you think it's more of, like, a good, strong footing?
1: I think it can be both and, um, which I know is a terrible non-answer. But I think tradition can sort of be both – it can root you in a community. It can make people comfortable when they see you or they hear your name or they think of the brand because you helped out ABC Family Member. But also, I think it can be a yoke because you're not willing to sort of take those risks. So – I'm going to say it's both and, which is again a great not answer. Sure, <laughs> I think it's important to know your community and to know your market. So, like for some people, their market is a very small community. Well, traditions probably more important, but it is also important to recognize: like, are there other traditions coming into this place? Is the next generation making different decisions? Um, if your community or your market is larger, I think you kind of have to be not all things to all people because then you're not really going anywhere, but you have to have an understanding of the people who are coming through the door. And it's really important to go like, okay, here's a tradition I've never been confronted with. I have to be courageous enough to ask like, what are the things that are inappropriate for us to do in your space? What are the things that are expected? Um, So I'm giving a longer answer than I think you asked for, but I think it's both. And Mm -hmm. I think tradition is really, really important. And I think we can get too tied to it sometimes in this business.
2: And, and I think I just want to make an observation here that this ties directly into our previous conversation about traditional cremation. Because it's those cremation families who are like, I've never done this before. What's What can I do here? And by saying traditional cremation, you've given them that comfort and also explaining to them what this new space is for them for their first time planning a death at the age of 55.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Right. It's both. And (laughs) yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I just, I, I fear that maybe some businesses might be afraid to let go of traditions as things move forward and maybe they're resistant to technology or maybe they're resistant to a family who wants to play like loud metal music because their son was into that you know like and you know so that's kind of where that question stemmed from is like maybe people are afraid to let go of tradition but also maybe tradition is can can be a boon as well you know
1: yeah I'm smiling because you reminded me of one of my like favorite services was the first one I ever did I was probably 22 And we have a green burial cemetery in Joshua Tree, California, which is, it's famous because there's a national park near it. So I got a phone call and this woman's father passed away and she wanted to do a green burial at our cemetery in Joshua Tree. And I was like, okay, great. No problem. You know, no embalming. You can do a small viewing if you want to. And she was like, no, I don't want to do a viewing, but my dad was a huge deadhead. And I was like, okay. She's like, do you know any Grateful Dead cover bands? And I was like, Well, we can find one. That's no problem. And so we literally found this Grateful Dead cover band that came in from Los Angeles and played like, I think it was a two hour concert in our chapel. Um, And then we took his body from our chapel to the green burial area, which is you know maybe a quarter mile walk. Some people wore shoes, some people didn't wear shoes. And it was sort of like, yeah, this is great. This is exactly what you guys needed, right? Um, And so, but at the end of the day, his body was still treated respectfully. There were still some traditions that were observed. Um, and it's like, but but they didn't need that. You know, what they needed was that Grateful Dead cover band who played a two-hour show in our chapel. <laughs> um, so I, it kind of comes back to that both and, right? Like, yes, tradition can be a boon if we're unwilling to... If we're unwilling to see the ways in which it serves us. Like, I think ritual is really important. I think... Um, there's certain comfort in those things, but also we can kind of interrogate that and we can go, you know, I love these things, but I think I'm going to leave these things aside. Great.
2: Uh, thanks so much, Maggie. It was, it's always really great to talk to you and it was so great having you on uh, to hear insights today. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated.